Welcome to I Used to Know. I'm Scott. And I'm Steve. We are your hosts for this adventure into the past, where we dive into things we used to know when we were kids that are no, no longer true. Hey, Steve. Hey, Scott. Hey. So I think we should welcome everyone to our first, quote, banter version of I Used to Know, where we talk about the news and hey, how... Everybody. Welcome to the banter version. Yeah. And and we could actually do a little bit of, uh, you could see how we're making the podcast sausage, right, Steve? Yeah, this is kind of like what we would talk about before we actually recorded the deep dive episodes of the podcast. So, uh, hey, welcome to the table. Yeah, yeah. Either over lunch at Panera or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? We, we did a lot of that. Panera people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And over, over lunch at your house, uh, you're, you're a pretty good chef. You're a pretty good cook. I would look forward to the days when I didn't have to eat my sandwich at my desk at work and I'd come on over and just hang out with you and we talk about what we're going to do for the next minute. And eat a sandwich at my table instead. So So instead, (laughs) it's COVID. So we are in our own houses over over the internet recording this, but it it feels like we're at the table together. So good to be back. That's as they say, right? The interweb table. Yes. So, all right. So, Steve, so have you been checking out the news? Are there any topics that you were thinking of? Like, what were the articles you're thinking or or topics, news items that you're thinking about? All right. So, first of all, you know that I looked up a bunch of topics because you gave me the assignment to go off and try to find a bunch of topics. So, the good co-host that I am... I dug around and uh, and I found a couple stories that I thought were pretty interesting for the times, and um, they they kind of relate a little bit back to what life was like when you and I were growing up, um, you know, just trying to trying to survive as eleven year old kids in the in the in the mean world. So um, yeah, the first one, I'm just gonna dive into this one if it's okay. Yeah. Now I got this off a of Huffington Post, and it's a recent article. Uh, talks about the dangers of icicles that are hanging off your house right it's actually titled the horrifying reason you should never ever eat an icicle and i i read this article it's by ed mazza and i tell you it opened my eyes scott right why did did you used to eat icicles Come on, you you personally witnessed me eating I, I icicles. Did, I did eat you icicles, but I, I never ate them. It was not my thing. All right, so I was so, always like, there's got to be like chemicals and stuff. I don't want to deal with it. Bird poop up there. I didn't want any of that. Oh, that's exactly it. That's <laughs> what the article talks about. It says these icicles that form off your house, they are runoff melt from the top of your house. So, duh, it's got... <laughs> dirt and garbage whatever was on the roof of your house is now embedded in that icicle yeah now what would happen on a snow day back when we were in grade school we'd run out of the house and and just like dive onto our sleds and go go run around and then on the way back to the house we'd pick off some icicles that are hanging off of the garage not even the clean part of the house roof it's like the garage roof and as, as an 11-year-old, you're, you're like, okay, I have a popsicle now. I just started gnawing on this thing, right? Or if you're not using it as a popsicle, you're using it as a sword, and we're trying to stab each other with these big, long, frozen, pointy things. But mostly, I was consuming the pop, the, uh, the icicle. Hmm. I will never, 
now I'm, I'm, a, I'm an older and wiser person, but from this day forward, I will never eat another icicle as long as I live because there's bird poop inside of them, Scott. Yes. That's why I, I never ate them. And, and that's also the reason why I still don't eat, even when I was a kid, Wait, I didn't eat cookie dough. Can't eat raw cookie dough. Salmonella. Yeah, I, it's the concept that there's the raw egg in there, so I just don't eat raw cookie dough. Um, everybody else in my family does; they all think it's great. And I'm not dissing eating mm. raw cookie dough. This is not a diss at all. It's just it's not my thing. I'm like, I know there's raw egg in there. I can't do it. And I know there were birds who pooped on that roof, so I couldn't do it. So, so let me let me tell you what I'm hearing now. I'm hearing that when we were 11, you watched me eat these icicles, knowing inside your own mind that that had bird poop inside of it so and you just I, let you just let your friend steve go ahead and, and have i would time. argue that it was probably yeah. the scientific method i wanted to see what reaction would occur with you <laughs> by eating these icicles yeah. all right well he, now, do you remember what i i did use the icicles for i used do to I love icicles it? yeah and that one side to... my parents house had these like gigantic like oh, ice you had you used them to reinforce your snow forts not reinforce, but provide light, because that was the coolest thing. You'd build, so oh. the plow would push all the snow of the street into my parents' yard, right? And then yep. we'd have this huge pile, and we'd start digging, making a giant snow fort inside tunnels. But mm -hmm. for tunnels, which also scary, you probably shouldn't have created such deep and, and long tunnels uh, without any parents watching us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do not recommend that anyone tunnels. listening to this tries to dig into giant piles of snow but, no, but they're dark but we, in there and you're using the icicles yeah you would shove the icicle through the snow right and so then the light would refract through the icicles and basically give you light inside the time inside the uh that's that is genius yes yeah. that's, that's pretty smart yeah, we thought it was off because it was too pointy so we'd get like a broader you know if you can you can get a diameter instead of getting that like tip down there you snap it so that you had like a quarter or a half dollar width yeah sticking into the top of the tunnel and then you would just get these glow of light from the, from the outside into the tunnel. You basically had frozen fiber optic light. I did. In your, <laughs> you're ahead, ahead of your time, Scott. I did. The only thing missing were lasers. That would have been really cool. But... That, that, that would have that would have been awesome. And I right, spent so that, it, so <laughs> in the seventies. <laughs> that was that was my that was my first article, and I'm glad I got the chance to share it with you and with everybody else because I'm hoping as a community service, I have reduced the number of people who will be out there um, eating. Well, you say, huh? Yeah, <laughs> service yeah. announcement. Yeah. I wonder how many Romans actually ate the icicles. That's an so. You know, if you think we gotta about it. we got to go back that. to Rome now. Oh, you and the way back Rome history. I like Rome. But but uh, not only that, but when I went on vacation in uh, Bermuda, Bermuda has no natural water sources. Like, they don't have rivers. How, how, how am I supposed to know that, Scott? Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I knew that when I – because that, I took a tour of Bermuda when I was there. So, <laughs> all right. Um, no but, rivers in Bermuda. So they collect all their water into gigantic, you know, like gigantic, you know, containers cisterns, cisterns yeah. under their house from the roof. Oh. So cool. it makes you wonder what kind of, I wonder if we were to, you know, we'd have to find out what kind of filtration system they have mm. from that. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. Because, yeah, I tell you, I mean, now you're talking tropical birds, right? So these are big monster birds, Scott. I, I don't know about how tropical. Remember, Bermuda's not like... 
really south. It's actually pretty north. like North Carolina, north, you know. It's in, it's in, it's in the it triangle. Just, it just happens that. to be in the middle of the, uh, it's the tip of the triangle, but it happens to be in the middle of the Gulf Stream. Yep. So that's why it's warm most of the time. All right. Okay. All right. So now at this point, we should move over to one of your topics. Oh, you want one of my topics? Yeah. What do you All have? Right. All right. So, uh, you know, it's been it, it's been reported in a lot of different things, everything from NBC News to, you know, all sorts of newspapers and articles. And that is this excitement that there there might actually be possibly life on on Venus. And we've been I mean, everybody's been looking at Mars. Right. But but Venus, um, nobody was really looking at Venus. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, uh, there, there's a chance that there's some life in, in Venus. How? Venus is covered in all this toxic gas, and it's so close to the sun, it's hot. Yeah, it's like 900 degrees. It, what it says, it says uh, extreme surface temperatures reaching nearly 735 degrees K, which is 8K. K. So that's Kelvin, yeah. So 863 Kelvin. Yeah, I, I Fahrenheit, 462 uh, Celsius, and about 90 times the atmospheric pressure of Earth. Oh, my God. So... I don't know about you, but I get I get cranky when it's like summertime and it's hot. So whatever life is on Venus, gotta be cranky. I do not want to meet it. It's gonna be mad. We uh, we so if we want to make peace with them, we just have to bring nice uh, glasses, <laughs> sweet tea, and, and right. we can we can lean them on our side. Is that what you're thinking? Creatures of Venus, I bring air conditioning. <laughs> yes, and sweet tea. <laughs> this is called ice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. so so why do they think there's life on Venus? I mean, I, I understand Mars. We thought, okay, we, we see like little river beds and things on Mars, so there probably was water. Um, it's colder than Earth, but could still sustain a kind of life. Why why Venus? I don't understand this. So so what happened was there's there's a couple in, and this gets interesting, especially as you start going backwards in time too. So um, so these are scientists at MIT and uh, Cardiff University and such, they, they were looking at Venus and they were able to use a spectrometer and they found that there's uh, phosphine in a layer that's in the atmosphere of Venus. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so this is a small layer, right? So the layer is about 48 to 60 kilometers above the surface. And the temperatures there though range between 30 and 200 degrees F. Oh. Okay, so, so not you're... crazy, yeah, not super crazy, right? It's and, like the and, sweet spot of the atmosphere. Yeah, and so they found that in there, they found phosphine, which is like this stinky and poisonous gas. But astronomers pretty much believe that if you find phos phosphine, there's no way for a planet to produce it on its own. It has to be created by a living organism. Now, no. yeah, so... so they're not sure, but they, they don't know of a process yet that would make it other than with life. So when they find phosphine, they're like, hey, we should take a look. And and so uh, this really surprised them that they found it there. And so now it's like, well, we should go. And and what, what gets even more interesting, in, in my opinion, was that, you know, if you think about it, we, we went to Venus a long time ago, right? So... The Mariner Pro. Well, not you and I. No, I mean, not us. It was, yes. Okay. I just yes. wanted to make that clear. Yes. At least not the, the Mariner probes. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, but yeah, so yeah, the Mariner probes uh, were like the first. Mariner 2 and I think Mariner 5 and 10 or something like that. They, they went out to Venus and they flew by to get some pictures and such. And then and they, and they started mapping them and all. But uh, essentially it was the Pioneer probes that we sent later back in like 1978. Uh, they actually orbited the planet and like dro- dropped several probes into uh into the atmosphere so so they had like um they had this like a multi-probe and then they had this thing i think it was called like day day probe night probe and i think north probe maybe so there were like three different probes that would drop onto the planet so that they could detect you know what it's like and and i also want to give shout out props to the russians okay because honestly they were the first to try to take a shot at the surf like landing and and they they actually they actually got something to land and report back. So uh, they sent a couple probes to to Venus. They landed them. One I think didn't report back. One landed, did report back for a few seconds. It was like a minute before or so. it melted into a pile of goo. <laughs> yeah. So so they you know victory for them. Uh, but our probes, we sent these probes in. We didn't expect them to land. We didn't expect them to survive. Like a couple of them actually reported. They crashed into the ground and they kept reporting. So we were able to get a good understanding of things from a profile from from orbit down. And what I find interesting about that is, you know, we, we got chemical compositions. We started to understand more about Venus. And, and that's all. We weren't really thinking about life. We weren't thinking about we were just like, eh, you know, we got to figure out what it is. And this is 1978. But uh, there's a biochemist at uh, California Poly Pomona, Cal Poly, and in California, uh, Rakish Mon- uh, Mogul. And when he read this stuff going on from MIT and stuff that happened in September, which is this phosphine discovery, yeah, he, he was like, hey, I wonder if these pioneer probes actually saw something and like poured over the logs. Yeah, because those probes would have to go through that, that layer. Yeah, and, and so what he found was that there may have been evidence back in 78 that this phosphine was there. We were just not looking for phosphine, but they found like the atomic, sh- they found the, the, like they found phosphorus, they found like the things that would make phosphine, they found it in that, about that spot in the layer. So this is 40 years ago. We could yeah. have been on to life on Venus 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't know what we were looking for. And, uh, but so there, there you have it, you know, and, and if you think about it, we can do a, a show where we go way back and talk about Venus and how it was discovered and uh, talk about the, the Romans. Venus. Yeah. Right? All right. Okay. Yeah, it's a, you know, she's, a, she's a goddess of love, sex, beauty, and fertility. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Now, that, that sounds like a good topic. And this just shows, right, the, the, the yin and yang of our, of our, our little um, friendship is that while you are diving into, you know, the metaphysical idea of life on Venus, I keep thinking about interplanet Janet and how different that cartoon would have been if we knew that there was life on Venus when she was spinning around with her intergalactic baseball team. <laughs> that's that's funny. I I honestly I also <laughs> But somebody says that's funny, Scott. It always means that's not funny. Well, it is funny. Right. I love okay. Interplanet Janet. Right. She's a galaxy right. right. girl. She is. I will try not to be offended. Go yes, ahead. Continue. Absolutely. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know I'm a massive fan 
of, of schoolhouse, uh, rock. schoolhouse rock. I mean, I have should... all the, I have all the DVDs. I used to sing to my kids when they were infants. Like, I would whisper mm-hmm. into their ears and sing the preamble, and it would put them right to sleep. <laughs> there you go. That's the only reason I know the preamble is because of Schoolhouse Rock. We should do yeah. we should do an episode on Schoolhouse Rock at some point. That's a really great point. That's yeah. a really great right. point. We should have a big comeback, so so it's not really there's some you know, new ones. Old yeah, school anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like a computer was a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. yeah, but yeah, and I will tell you though that I, I think of those old fifties and sixties movies about like you know like invaders from Venus. That when I started talking about Venus, I was thinking about that. You know, yeah, like those uh, uh, War of the Worlds, and uh, you know some of those those old cheesy nineteen fifties you know sci fi movies. A lot of them were you know kind of like. Uh, uh, they were metaphors for communism taking over the world, but instead it was space aliens. So there's a lot of history there. Yeah, I think we can dive into yeah. you know a side tangent about these old timey 1950s sci-fi movies. Sure. Yeah, and not to mention she's a goddess on a mountaintop, was burning like a silver flame. I mean, the summit of beauty and love, and Venus was her name. Oh, oh my gosh! I can't believe you just did that. Yes, she's got I'm, it. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, baby, I'm gonna, she's got it. I'm going to have that song in my head <laughs> the rest of the day, and it's going to be your fault. Yeah, oh. so is all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it's a good song. I'll, but hey. That's it. Uh, I'll take that for a couple of days. Good and one. I, all right, so I yeah, also want to point out one more thing that we could also talk yeah. about, like things like, like cocktails. <laughs> oh. Like there's uh, a, there's a, there's a Venus uh, cocktail. There's a Venus rum drink. Really? The rum Venetian sounds really good. Yeah. Drinks. Yeah, yeah. The r- Venus rum. What is that? Uh, white rum, apricot brandy, triple sec, lime juice, and soda water. I, I, it's 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 now made it to my I got to try it list. Oh, yeah, come on. I mean, if it comes mm-hmm. up in a Google search when you're trying to find topics for a podcast, you got to you gotta mix that drink up. If you search Venus and like the fifth topic says Venus uh, cocktail. <laughs> was that was fifth? Yeah. You you have to say to yourself, if it's that popular, I got I gotta I gotta try it. So it's it's time for a libation right. later, right? So yeah. Good one. Good one. All right. All right. Excellent. Uh how about I move on to my second topic? Sure. All right. So this one I had a lot of fun with. Um so I was just too, you know, for my homework I went and I was just googling fun news. And uh and some of this uh, I got a whole bunch of different um hits, but this one uh, really caught my eye because it was a story about an 84-year-old woman who was at an old Mississippi, or I guess it's Old Miss is the name of the university, yeah. Old Miss basketball game. And you know during halftime when they have those those little like fan interaction things where you, you know they bring some people down onto the court and you have to do something maybe sometimes it's a little silly sometimes you got to run around with like your head on a baseball bat and you look all dizzy and you have to get to the other side of the court well her challenge she was pulled out of the crowd and they said here's a golf ball if you could putt this golf ball clear across the basketball court into the other end and it sinks into the hole we will give you a new car and I tell you, Scott, she did I've, it, been huh? golfing, I've been golfing for decades. 
right? At way, way, way back when you and I were kids, we were we were we were playing golf and trying to get out of the onto the course. And I think the longest putt I've ever hit is maybe 20, 25 feet, and I was ecstatic. This woman sank a 94-foot putt and won a new car. Tell you what, that's looking good. That's looking really good. Ah! Miss Mary just kind of like she was happy but it was like all right I, I, I just did that the crowd went nuts sure and and just just the odds of hitting that putt are so slight that i think it had to be uh, it had to be shared here i'm pausing because i'm trying very hard to pull up the video I'm i just want to know I just want to know: Did when she was putting, did she go na 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 Nobody can see us because this is an audio podcast, but I will guarantee you, I was not an athlete in high school, but I was on the golf team and was able to play golf for a long time with uh, with you and a bunch of other friends and uh, weren't exactly competitive, but it was a fun way to spend the afternoon after uh, after getting oh. through calculus. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I mean, free country club. Uh, that was <laughs> We'd get to free country club every every day almost. Like, did it get any better than that? It's almost not right, right? We're a bunch of we're a bunch of kids Hacks. from the backwoods. Yeah, yeah they're just coming out. Like, you yeah. could barely hold the club straight. But they were the really good golfers, and then there we were kind of hackish, but you know we had a good time. And again, country club walk around in the in the outdoors, you know. Um, well, although I, I I will say that it reminds me of that old saying about golf, right? Which it's a uh, it's a great outdoor sport ruined by a tiny white ball. It is. It's a good way to get your aggressions out. You gotta, you gotta hit that tiny ball almost a kilometer in some cases. But I'll tell you who's a good golfer is this 84-year-old woman who sank this putt. I was impressed. Yes, they should have given her the jacket. <laughs> That's right. Jacket. You get the green get the green jacket. Yes. The car is cool, but the green jacket. I think that one deserves a green jacket. Well, so from a topic perspective, this is really interesting because we can go through the whole history of golf. I'm sure it goes way back. Uh, I'm sure. I, I mean, you've got the whole Scotland thing, but I bet you it even goes back further than Scotland. I wouldn't be shocked if it went to the Romans. Went to the Romans. <laughs> yeah. Some poor, some poor Roman slave is pushing a, like a stone wheel golf cart with like two guys in it all around this like grassy knoll. Yes. Yeah, no, it's a, I could I could see it going back to Scotland. I would be surprised if it went back to the Romans. So you will have to you will have to uh, surprise me with that information if it isn't so true. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah. So I, I this is an interesting one. I, I like this the story with the golf, and then and then maybe go through the history of golf. 
maybe even bring in frisbee golf who knows oh yeah i tell you frisbee golf looks like fun have you ever played it uh not for for real points yeah i mean it could, there was a frisbee golf uh course that they set up in our town over here and and it, it can be frustrating but maybe i got to give it another shot we can do Rutgers. golf frisbee golf Rutgers, Rutgers had uh, they had frisbee golf at, at the campus, yeah. So we used to play that. They had that, and they and they. So I've played two versions. One which was basically like they just put signs on a tree, and you had to whack the tree with your frisbee. <laughs> That's like the poor man's version, I guess. And then they had the real kind with like the the real the frisbee golf. Yeah, the chains where you whack it in, and it's got to fall inside the little basket. That's right. Yeah. That, yeah. And in fact, and I thought that looked so much fun, actually, that I actually bought one for my house because I was like, oh, I'll play it with my kids. And I got the toy and I set it up and it was like the tiniest thing. They didn't even give you real Frisbees. They were like hockey puck <laughs> size. And the, <laughs> for, and the for chain. Like air hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've seen stronger chains. I mean, I can't even imagine. It was terrible. So, yeah. No, I, yeah. I think this is an interesting topic. It, it, it can go somewhere. I, I I do know a lot of people take frisbee golf very seriously because you can yeah. buy a frisbee golf putter, which is like a very skinny frisbee, or a driver, which is a very heavy frisbee, and anything in between. So you have to call your shot, but you're not using the same frisbee all the time. You're picking different frisbees for the different throws. Huh? I never really thought about that. It's a, it's a real thing. I mean, you can go to Dick's Sporting Goods or someplace. And you can buy like a whole set the same way you would buy a golf club set. Yes. Yes. A person at my work, their husband is big into Frisbee golf, I believe. So I bet you he's got the whole set. Yeah. Could be. All right. So, Could be. But a pin right, in that one. That good one. Yeah. Oh, ouch. You like it? No, that's why I said ouch. All right, all right. We have to move on after that pun. All right, <laughs> all, right all right. All right. What 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 do you got? What do you got next that so we can take a swing at this one? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna take a shift over to something more about sustainable energy. Uh, sustainable I was, energy. Yeah. Right. So. Just, hey, for, in case for everybody out there listening and you're keeping score, I brought eating icicles and. <laughs> making a putt at a basketball game. Scott has brought the possibility of life on Venus and now renewable energy and yes. who knows what else. But, you know, hey, hey it's, you know, let's it's hear just, him out. Let's give him right. the benefit of the doubt. All right, go ahead. All right, so this one's actually about an article about how, uh, and, and I'm going to actually name a brand here. So Australia picks uh, a massive Tesla-supplied battery system to ease transmission constraints for their country. And uh, so there's this whole article about how, and, and this is a, it goes into a bigger thing, right? Which is the whole idea around the smart grid that right now we've got, you know, power comp, you know, when, when you have power plants making power and you have people who need the power, uh, how do you get the power from one place to another? How do you handle peak loads? How do you handle the fact that if you've got uh, sustainable energy sources, they may not always be on, like sun goes down, <laughs> right? And you've got right. more power, or wind dies down, or, or, and in this particular case, I thought it was an interesting article because it's not just about wind come slows down. It was actually a problem that caused when wind got fast. Too uh, much wind. Yeah, so what ended up happening, it was like this, I think it's the southern portion of Australia, 
and they had uh, a big storm, I think, in 2016, and uh, it they it it overamped the the you know the generators. It hurt some of the wind you know wind turbines. Uh, they they tried to take them offline, so they had a bunch offline, but then the wind actually hurt some of them. And there was a rule about how much power they were supposed to continually provide power, uh, even through these these issues and these outages. But that didn't happen, and the, the high tension wires had no power to supply, and it created a collapse of the of the power grid short term. You know, it started tripping all the breakers. If you remember, we had that big power outage. Oh, I think back in 2003, I think oh, here in the United States, where it took out the whole like East Coast, the whole um, eastern half of the United States. Yeah, or at least from North Mississippi River. Yeah, yeah, it was like Mississippi. It was like Ohio, I think, over to the to the ocean, and then I think Virginia North, I think. So it was like not Northeast, but like Northeast and Mid Atlantic, maybe a little bit of the, you know. So so we had that big black. They had a similar situation. So what they're trying to do is figure out well, how do you handle the ebb and flow of power? And their solution is we're going to put in these gigantic batteries, right? In a particular case, these Tesla batteries, which are now called like uh i think what did they call they're called like tesla mega packs so you build these gigantic mega packs which are at grid level storage not like the not like the power walls you can get for your house but giant mega ones and uh and so the idea is a couple things the idea is these gigantic grid ones when the wind dies down and goes up you know these battery packs kind of handle the load they can handle that overnight stuff but when it comes to grid distribution or power distribution, some of these things are, are like, there's some stories of towns that they never really need a lot of power, but then there's there's usually an event that needs a lot of power. And, mm-hmm. and it it's, happens not very often. So what do you do? Do you run new high tension wires to bring power to the town? Or do you let the town go into a brownout when that happens? So the idea here is not just put battery packs where you generate power, but put battery packs where you consume power. So that way, like these battery packs can actually take the peak load and never put stress on the grid. So I like see. a town needs power right away. There happens to be a mega pack there. So the whole town like feeds from the mega pack while you needed that super peak and it doesn't drain the grid, you know? And so then when people go to bed or whatever, then the mega pack repacks, you know, re- refills itself. I get it. Now are these, are these mega packs portable or are they are they something like yeah. they, they're they're tractor trailer size where you could just drive them from down to down bigger they're they're permanently did uh multiple you usually put multiple mega packs like uh this particular let's see each mega pack can store three megawatt hours of energy and then you can create you can put them together to come up with more than one gigawatt of energy source uh storage one gigawatt yes yes okay. 1.21 gigawatts yeah and yeah, and what's that's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing, right? Because these are these are the same kind of batteries that are being used for for electric vehicles, but now the technology is being expanded so that it can handle storage right. capacities that are on the grid level. Yeah, so you have you could yeah you think of it the scale up, right? So you have like uh, you know if you go back, you've got what runs on your cell phone or your laptop, and then you move it up to well, you can get a power wall or or a, com- a competitor to a power wall for your house, where your house can then kind of disconnect and reconnect to the grid. Then you have the, these mega you know mega packs, which then handle whole grid stuff. Yeah, so they're exactly the same batteries though, just the scale of which they they use them. 
it's kind of interesting. And then when I started researching this a little bit, I started understanding, well, you know, well, it's not just battery packs, but how have we done this in the past? And we've been doing storage in the grid for, you know, a very long time. Uh, the most common one is the pump storage hydropower design, um, which I'm sure you are aware of the PSH, right? Steve? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the PSH, uh, come on. That, yeah, that's like that's like renewable energy 101 sky yes but for those who may not know i'll uh oh I'll, yeah yeah why don't yeah. why don't you explain it to them because i'm yeah. tired right now so yeah yeah so basically in the simplest terms it's basically using water at you know and gravity to store energy so yeah. like if you've got uh if you're let's say you've got a hydroelectric dam that makes a lot of electric but not everyone needs the electric at once right you're making more than anyone's using you could use that extra power to pump water from one reservoir up a hill to another reservoir. And then when you need the extra power, you just kind of reverse that. And then the water flows back down to the lower reservoir, turning, you know, the turbines and generating turbine. electricity. Yeah. So basically that it's that whole physics class thing we learned when we were kids of like potential energy to kinetic energy to potential energy and using that concept of water to do the potential energy. And, and then... These things get even into crazier worlds where, you know, if you start going down this world of grid power storage and sustainable energy and stuff, you know, and you talk about solar, I, you know, do you know who was the first to use solar power that we kind of got recorded? Who, who, who's really kind of had a plan on how to and used to teach people on how to use uh, solar power? Okay. So, so you ask me questions like this all the time. And what I've learned over the course of this podcast is the answer is always the Romans. Oh. And it's not the Romans. Not the Romans. All right, no. who did it? Egyptians. The, ah, so close. I was so close. That was my yeah. second guess. Yeah, the Egyptians, they were the first because they came up with the concept of how do they store the heat in brick and then radiate it into their homes uh, at night so that it, was, it would keep their homes warm. Oh, okay. So they had the whole design. It gets hot. You bring it in. Walls. They would they would design their spaces so they would have walls, walls. that would that would absorb the heat and then radiate it at night. And that concept would go forward into the Greeks. It would be brought across the the Med, right? And then the Greeks and the Romans eventually did do that. In fact, do you know who was probably the most famous uh, first and most famous solar like salesman uh, ever? You know, I want to say the Romans, but I no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not falling for it. So I am gonna say uh, a particular say person. This, oh, person. A person. A person. Who was the person? number, the first real big salesperson of solar? Like how to design it and build it. Da Vinci. Oh, interesting. No. Yeah. But ah. you would think he'd be in it, but it was before him. Okay. Socrates. 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 As a shout That's out to Socrates. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. A shout Socrates out to for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, Socrates. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Socrates. He he actually taught classes on how on the art of passive solar architecture. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he was your first solar salesperson. Go check look, out Socrates and his and his crazy aim the the walls to the south so you stay warm plan. <laughs> and it's only taken us thousands of years to get to the point where we can. Uh, we can charge our, our, our cell phones with uh, yeah. With we do it a little different than just like hope that the uh, the radiation warms up our. <laughs> <laughs> Got a few more tricks up our sleeves these days, but 
Well, I, I got to tell you, going back, I like that idea about storing up the energy by throwing the water back up into the, the top of the reservoir. 1907 yeah, you, you, you was just... the first time it was ever done in scale, right. large scale. There we go. Excellent. Yeah, I could see, uh, I can see this turning into a, a bigger thing because this could also, this whole idea of like, uh, like power storage spins off into so many different pieces of our of our lives right well, okay there's there's of course like the electric car thing going on now but even like back when we were kids everything that we used had to have some kind of some kind of a nine volt or a d battery or a c battery and it seemed like we were living in the future when they came out with rechargeable batteries now all of a sudden yeah. there's a battery that you could plug into your wall and you could use it again that was that was unheard of. Yeah. My yeah, Nike had, and then nickel metal hydride, and then lithium. Now, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I I call them the green ones, and then there's like the black ones that are just <laughs> the normal. But you could take it. You could take an old, almost dead battery, put it in the refrigerator, leave it overnight, take it out, and you could squeeze another like half hour out of like the 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 Mattel football handheld game that you're playing all day long. Little tricks like that. So you go from from small little batteries to you know. Uh, you know, serious battery power storage for automotive and then the grid and then, I don't know, power for going to space. And how do we how do we get these? How do we get the, you know, the uh, the Voyager to go out of the solar system? How how does that happen and still have power? Well, they have a nuclear reactor. Oh, well, why didn't you just stop me before I went on that whole big thing, the nuclear reactor? Well, Tell I mean, me that right up front. Voyager needed a nuclear reactor because it was going to go too far away from the sun. You couldn't use solar panels. It'll, it would not never. It, two thirds of its journey would be beyond any useful sunlight. So it needed a it different power source. Dark. Yeah. I, yeah did which, not, I did not think. And there's that. a whole thing we can go down. Uh, talk about rabbit hole. Voyager, you know, recently sent back new messages. I did not hear about this. How oh, recently is recent? Like recent, like as in la last month, it found something interesting. Um, so it's in really? an interstellar space now, right? It's actually outside of our solar system, but it broke through our the edge of our solar system. And we thought, okay, that's it. It's an interstellar space. There's not a lot going on out there. Report back once in a while would be really cool. Hang yeah. in there, poor little Voyager who should have died like 15, 20 years ago, but still yeah. kicking and screaming good information. And it sent back information like, there's a lot more things outside of in interstellar space than we ever thought. Like there's, wow. there's, it, it's finding, you know, elements and stuff as it's flying through that we would have thought it was just like the vast emptiness. And it's not so vast emptiness. It's, there's actually stuff in there. And that's what Voyager is proving to us that there's, much more than we would have ever thought. And the two Voyagers are still out there and they're still collecting data and it's an amazing feat. We have to do something about this because I mean, the, the the only personal tie that I have to, to to the Voyager is that in Star Trek 1, it was part of the plot. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was... And, and, and it was a boring movie for me, unfortunately. I know I know that you're, you're, you're a Trekkie fan, but that movie was like, oh, I wish there was something more interesting about about uh, sending this uh, the satellite way out into outer space. And now here it is. What is it? Forty five years later, and there is something interesting that's coming back. Yeah, I you just know, don't know what it is. So, as a Trekkie, you know what's interesting is that that Star Trek, the motion picture, the first yes. one, which the to me one. one of the most thrilling parts was the Happy Meals they made for it were amazing. They yeah. had 
<laughs> McDonald's had <laughs> like these movies. They 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 actually had these Happy Meal things with some real like scenes and th- it was uh forget what was in it, but there was there was some stuff in there. I remember that's what I wanted. I really wanted the Happy Meal, but it, in a way it was sort of um, it was a redo because they had an episode in the original Star Trek that was similar where a probe went away but merged with another probe that both were dying and they became really smart and they came back and and um, they were basically going to destroy all life, right? And that's basically what V'ger was like. I need to find the, you know, spoiler alert. Um, no, careful. Yeah, but if you haven't seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, honestly, if you haven't seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, it's, a, it's good to see. But if you want to try to join us in the world of Star Trek, and I say us, my family and stuff, um, I would say jump right to Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, the second one. That yes. one will that will just take you there. I completely agree with you. The first one, you don't need to to watch. Yeah, with Wrath of Khan. But but I will say that you know we got to be careful when we tap the Star Trek world for discussion, right? Because that section of rabbit hole for me is so deep and so <laughs> wide. And, I am um, sorry that I have. That I brought up the topic. For the record, I actually my chair that I'm sitting at right now in front of my computer is actually a Star Trek chair <laughs> with a label on the back that says, you know, United Federation of Planets. So it's uh, right. that's how you know you are uh, you are you're a hardcore fan. So we got yes. You. So we just have to be careful because I I'll. There are people out there that can rattle about all sorts of things. Star Trek is one of mine. That's right. It could be a, today's episode is seven hours long. Where <laughs> we go over the first part of Scott's thoughts on Rathacon. Yes, let's talk. Which series are we going? Voyager? Are we doing <laughs> Deep Space Nine? <laughs> TNG? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think I have to get into Discovery. Everybody's telling me. Oh my to god, get into Discovery. Big fan, big big fan. Tough first season as a Star Trek fan. I was not a but big fan that, of the beginning of two thirds of the first, first season. season. Two thirds of the first season, not a huge fan, but you know, stuck in it with it and got through it. Yeah. And and honestly, by the time I got to the other end of it, I was uh, much happier. I, I felt like there was a change that occurred that I really liked. And um, second season is is incredible. And the third season, which just ended like uh, Friday, this past Friday. Uh, Honestly, fantastic. I'm a massive, or last Thursday, I think, massive fan. Yeah, Friday was Mandalorian. Thursdays were Discovery. So, yeah. <laughs> so much so much to watch. There's so much out there. So, yeah. all right, we'll keep ourselves going. All right. Yeah. So, um, I think we've got a lot of really good ideas. And I, I, I jotted down a whole bunch. I think I think we've got a path to go for some some deep dives later on in the future. Yeah. Um, but we yeah. gotta we got to continue... A couple more of these banter episodes. Keep throwing the ideas around. We gotta, we gotta go back and forth, right? We gotta, we, we gotta bounce some of these things off each other and see what sticks. Yes, but I would also say we have to hear what our listeners are thinking. Yes. So I would love to hear if anyone out there has some ideas, uh, some news articles, uh, you know, that you'd like us to discuss. Hey, put it, put it in our Twitter, uh, which is I used to know, pod, and, or you can put it in our Facebook. Of I used to know, or you could just email us, right? You got Steve at I used to know.com and you've got Scott at I used to know.com. You can hit us with that. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. And if there's some topic that you'd like us to 
to kind of explore as a possible I used to know deep dive. And I, Steve, from I used to know.com, would like to hear from everybody out there if you ate icicles also, or am I the only idiot? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear who, who skirted past Salmonella. Sure. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did, did you survive your childhood by, by not eating icicles Honestly. And, and cookie dough? And, and in a way, that is the essence of how this this series I used to know started was how 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 the heck did we survive <laughs> yes. we didn't our have childhood? How did this happen? I don't know. Yes, we didn't have cell phones to call home if we were lost or anything. We didn't have anything, right? We talked about those things in the past. So yeah. All right, all right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I, and and now that I've seen the level of game that you are bringing to this <laughs> reboot season, Scott. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pour into the right. internet. I'm gonna come back with a whole bunch of stuff next time. All right, I'm I'm ready to hear something about you know muons. I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> All right, excellent. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you found this interesting and fun. Uh, let us know, and we'll talk to you soon. Threes and eights. Right. Goodbye, yeah, everybody. <laughs>